So we are on uh, continuing chapter 11, specifics about the virtue of cleanliness. And what we're up to is uh, we just finished the chap the idea that when you eat things that are forbidden foods, it doesn't just make us defiled, but it also can cut off our ability to connect with the wisdom of heaven. So he continues and says, in order to teach us that not only unclean animals or not kosher animals are impure, but that impurity also affects animals that are categorized as kosher, yet are themselves ritually unclean. What this means is that you have a kosher animal, you have a cow, you have a sheep, it's a kosher animal. However, it was not shechted properly, right? So it's a kosher animal, but it wasn't shechted properly. So the Torah tells us these laws of, rich, of uh, ritual purity and uh, the laws of Tumah and Tahara are in order for us to distinguish between what is impure and what is pure. Now, the Gemara explains, the sages of blessed memory have commented, it is unnecessary to distinguish between a donkey and a cow. Right? We know the difference between a donkey and a cow. So when we say you have to distinguish, the implication is that there's a big similarity between these two different categories of animals, and it's difficult to distinguish. Well, if you have a, a, a cow, is kosher. It's pretty simple. Any animal that chews its cud and has split hose is kosher. That's not so complicated to distinguish. So what does it mean when it says to distinguish between? What it means is to distinguish between what is ritually unclean to you and what is ritually clean to you and to distinguish between the cutting of the greater part of the trachea and the cutting of only half of it. So if someone is doing shechita, right? The law is you take a, a super sharp knife and you have to slice into the trachea and it has to be rife. The majority of the trachea has to be sliced through and then it becomes permitted to eat that animal, right? After the animal dies. Now, if you only would have cut one half of the trachea and not the majority of the trachea, even if the animal dies, because the animal will die if you cut half of the trachea, the animal will be forbidden to be eaten. Now, what's the difference between cutting half or cutting majority? It's a hero's breath, right? It's a very, very small difference, right? So what's it teaching us? What's the difference between the greater part and only half? Only a hero's breath. The reason why they concluded with the question, what is the difference between the greater part and the majority and half? is to inform us of how great the power of a mitzvah is. For literally, only a hair's breath separates the impure from the pure. Therefore, anyone with a little bit of sense will consider prohibited foods as poison or as a food that has poison mixed into it. If this were the case, and a person had only a suspicion, even if only a slight one, would he allow himself to eat from this food? Of course not, and if he did, he would be considered a complete fool. Similarly, prohibited foods, as we have explained, are truly poisonous to the heart and soul. Who then, possessing any intelligence, would be lax with himself when a suspicion of something forbidden is involved? Referring to this, it has been said, and place a knife to your gullet if you possess intelligence. And so this idea of being incredibly careful with food that might be forbidden to be, and there's so many different levels of, of carefulness with these questions, right? Especially today, when we have, this is the, the idea of having like a national hashkacha is a completely new phenomenon, right? This is maybe a hundred years old, the idea of, of uh, that there's, you don't actually go to the rabbi of the town. There was no such thing as processed foods to the extent that they are today. Processed foods being kosher didn't exist, right? So what would happen is if you want to know if something was kosher or not, you would go take your chicken that you shechted in the backyard and you would go, your shochet shechted, and you'd go bring it to the rabbi and ask the rabbi, is this chicken kosher? Right? Anything was all, it was a local production, the entire process from start to finish. 
So, but today, now that we are relying on these national hashkachot, so there's so many different gradations, and it's, it's very often hard to know what exactly is the difference between this one and that one, right? So there are some people, and I'm not one of them, who will not eat anything that comes from any sort of, a, you know, processed facility, because they think that they don't want to take any chances at all with anything, and they will literally only eat food that came from its very, a very uh, simple process and was underneath their, their oversight from beginning to end, because they're going to be exceptionally cautious with this idea. The Talmud tells us a, a funny story about um, the, the uh, certain people's, certain Amorayim's cows refused to eat food that wasn't kosher, because that's how holy that the, these people had reached such a high level of holiness that even their cows recognized they couldn't eat food that wasn't kosher. Okay, now we're going to get to something that's probably a little bit more relatable in terms of nikiyut, in terms of the virtual cleanliness, which like we've been saying the whole time, it means like very high levels of removing yourself from any sort of sin. And not just the sin that is discussed in the Torah, but even all of these different gradations that are put in place to protect from getting worse places. We will now discuss sins that derive from a social milieu where people meet and congregate. These include verbal abuse, causing severe embarrassment to another, right? So to go through those two, one at a time, uh, I didn't look at this yet. He's probably going to actually say it. Oh, you know, he's, I'm not going to explain what I was going to say because he's going to say it himself. Um, um, misleading, giving misleading advice, tail bearing, which is Lashon Hara, hatred and vengeance, taking oaths, lying, and desecrating the eternal's name, right? Chilul Hashem. Is there anyone who can say, I am cleansed of them? I am purified of any blame for them? The facets of these prohibitions are so numerous and contain such subtle distinctions that it is a challenge to adhere to them faithfully, right? Verbal abuse in general, he's going to go through them one by one. What's verbal abuse, right? So this is a topic that we kind of touched upon a little bit last night, you know, the idea of how the Torah does, does say that we cannot just say whatever we want to anybody. It means that it's forbidden to speak in the presence of another in a manner that will embarrass him. This prohibition applies with even greater force if you say something directly to embarrass him or act in a manner that will cause him embarrassment. And regarding this, our sages have said, if he is about tshuva, do not say, remember your prior deeds. Right? So someone who used to do something wrong and now he did tshuva on that, he repented, he no longer does that. So to say to him, remember what you used to do, that's going to make him feel bad. The Mishnah tells us that this is forbidden under a Torah violation to ever tell somebody something of this nature. If he is beset by sickness, do not say to him as Eov's, Job's, Job's friends said to him, do you recall any man being guiltless and being destroyed? And what's he saying over here? He's saying, some people think they go over to someone who's suffering through, you know, pain, whatever the pain might be, right? The Tzoros, as we say in Yiddish, right? So you go over to him and you're trying to make him feel good. So you say, you know what? Nobody ever suffers through pain unless it's deserved. Now, how's that going to make him feel better? Because then at least he recognizes it's not random. And then he recognizes that he's averting misfortune in the next world, right? Very simple, very logical thing that this is a good, uh, good way to console people who are going through difficult times. Of course not. That's, that's really actually very silly. And it's not a good idea to tell somebody that. It's not going to make him feel good at all. So do not say this to him at all. If donkey drivers ask him for grain, he shouldn't say, go to so-and-so who sells grain when he knows he has never sold grain in his life, right? So this is a continuation of that Mishnah, that, that Gemara, actually. That the Gemara tells us that if someone says to you, 
hey, we need to buy X, you need to buy Y. So you say, you know what, you wanna buy that? Okay, great, go to that store and you'll find that they sell it to you there. And really you're just making people, both, both sides are gonna be like, why, why are you sending this guy to my store? Why are you sending me to the wrong place? This is wasting people's time. They have already stated, verbal abuse is worse than even monetary abuse. But regarding the former, it states, and you shall be afraid of your God. Whereas regarding the latter, it does not say, and you shall be afraid of your God. So in terms of the scale, right, what's worse? Is it worse to make fun of somebody to their face or is it worse to steal from them? So I think most people would assume it's worse to steal, but he's saying, no, it's not. It's actually worse to make fun of them to their face or even not to their face, but to make them feel bad through verbal language than it is to steal from them. And how do we know? He proves it. It says about speaking nicely to others, it says, and you shall be afraid of your God, which indicates that it's on a higher level of, of abuse to say this thing that we therefore have to say, and you shall be afraid of your God. When it comes to stealing money, it doesn't say explicitly, and you shall be afraid of your God. It doesn't seem to be at such a high plane. And of course, the sin is compounded when it is done publicly, for we have explicitly been taught in chapters of our fathers, he who publicly embarrasses another has no shear in the world to come. A very, very powerful line. I think we'll, we'll end with that point that if someone embarrasses his friend in public, he's considered as if he has killed him and he has no shear in the world to come. As the Talmud tells us that David HaMelech, King David, used to be, people would embarrass him specifically about his relationships with, um, with women that, you know, that seemed to them to have been questionable relationships. And they would say to him, David HaMelech, when there's a doubt about if a, married, if a woman is married or not, and what man sleeps with her, what's the punishment? To which his response is, the punishment is severe but it's not as severe as the punishment for embarrassing someone. And in other words, you guys are embarrassing me and you think you're being so self-righteous and embarrassing me because of my deeds. Let me tell you something. You guys are actually going to be worse off for your actions of deliberately embarrassing me than I will be for my actions, which had justifications behind them.